The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... In the lead-up, you know, to the Olympics, we were obviously, the way we were training, I was in incredible shape. I was, my insulin sensitivity was really high. I was taking next to nothing, you know, even when I was eating good meals, there was just, my body was just burning it. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to another episode of the Insulone Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you're at the gym, if you're walking your dog, if you're getting ready for work, if you're in bed trying to fall asleep, thank you for joining us. Although, I don't advise you trying to fall asleep right now because this is is a very, very, very good episode. The guest that I have on is an Olympian. He is a type 1 diabetic, obviously. He's played professional hockey in Ireland, Belgium, and Holland. He won a bronze medal at the European Hockey Championships in 2015 and competed in the Rio Olympics in 2016. I really, really, really enjoyed this episode. I personally got a lot from listening to Alan and I know you will too. So without taking too much of your time, here is my chat with Alan Southern. Mm. But how did you find being like a full-time athlete to then having to work from home? It was it was a funny because like like that in the space of a year, I went from like training like five, six times a week and playing to starting work in town and you know, like the commute in and out and working a full day. And then I was, I'm still playing with my club. So like I was training outside of that and then like trying to get into the gym and do sessions on the side of that as well. And like it uh, obviously is all of a sudden I was a lot busier, you know, it was trying to manage your days and manage your time. I had to be a lot more kind of, I had to plan out a lot more with that. Um, but it was an enjoyable experience like in that it was a new challenge and it was something new and because it was new like in the office and that when i first started uh you know it 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 didn't really phase me at all and then i suppose quite getting to the point there where we were on lockdown and we were working from home that was difficult because you know 
and like anyone will say this who was working from home like that full time like there's no there's no off switch or there's no away like you know you're the space that previously would have been kind of chill out and like relaxing and enjoyable was like what was now felt like work you know there was no you'd close my laptop at the end of the day and then like you know i'd go out and go for a run or do whatever and then i come back and i'd be in the same space again like that was a bit that was difficult i found yeah it's hard to disconnect from it fully then yeah because you always have that feeling of oh i should be doing something because you associate that space now as your workspace so you're you're almost kind of always in that work mindset which can be frustrating and i always i always think back to when i was doing my leave insert obviously a long long time ago now but any time that i should have been studying and i wasn't i was mm. like oh i should be doing something you know yeah, that kind of yeah. way I, I and i feel it's same. been like that with the lockdown yeah it has it's it's uh it's it's fucking like it's mental if you had thought about this like five years ago if someone said this was going to be in the next five years you would have said fuck oh, you are mental like just <laughs> yeah. you get out of here that's a movie or something like it's not like that's not going to happen but i don't know there'd be it'd be interesting to see what happens in the next five years if people go <laughs> yeah. fucking mental you'd almost be afraid to know i know yeah <laughs> but come here alan you have obviously competed and represented ireland at quite literally the highest level in sport but you're the only diabetic that I know that I've spoken to that wasn't diagnosed in a hospital. So how did that come about? Yeah, I I suppose I was 13 when I was diagnosed. So I was in first year in school and kind of after Christmas, like, like you know, like you, you're into a new school. I was, I was like really sporty anyway as a kid. So... I was nonstop. I was playing everything, uh, like, you know, when I started off, I was involved in everything. Then kind of after Christmas, like, you know, I was, I was, I was just, my energy was dropped everywhere. I wasn't even like, it wasn't even in school. It was, I was playing, so I was playing football as well then on the weekend. Um, and it was my, the coach of my football team was like, you know, geez, he's not moving. Like, you know, he's, he just looks like he's a zombie out there, like on the pitch. And, I was, you know, all the usual signs of like, I was dropping weight. Uh, I was up during the night. Like I get up during the night and go down to the fridge and I drink like a liter of orange juice and I'd still be like unquenchable thirst of just like, like just couldn't, couldn't get rid of it. So that went on for probably three or four weeks. And like my mom always says to me, she's like, she had an inkling that there was, that it was diabetes because she knew the signs and she knew the, the uh, symptoms of it all. But there was one day I just like I just couldn't get out of bed. I like literally couldn't move my legs, couldn't get out of bed. So uh Mum phoned the GP uh, and he came around to the house and he was having a look at me and that and he got me to do a urine test, whatever, and he checked my blood sugars and he was like, Yeah, okay. Uh I think they were like like the odds they were like twenty four point seven or something, like, you know. Which like I've obviously over the years it's obviously incredibly high. But I've heard of higher, like beyond that, but it was just, he was like straight away, he was like, right, okay, bring him over to the hospital. And uh, he, uh, I think he's type one diabetic. So that was my, that was my uh, introduction to it all. And had you any idea of like what this thing was? Or did you think, ah, I'm just, I'm a bit under the weather, haven't been feeling the best for a few weeks, everything will be fine? 
I literally, I be honest with you, I had never, I don't think I'd ever even heard of it. If it wasn't to do with sport or anything like that, it just probably didn't even cross my radar. <laughs> um, I was, yeah, I didn't know. It was the fir- it was the first time I'd ever heard the f- like the of of the of the uh, the condition. I'd never heard of it before. I knew, I knew something was up, but I didn't know. I just felt like I like I just felt tired all the time. I wasn't sleeping well because I was obviously waking up during the night. But I, I just, I don't know, I figured that that was just, like, figured, like, look, I'm in secondary school now, this is life, like, you know. There's <laughs> a part of it. Yeah, I'll never sleep again, like, it's, <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was all, it was all completely new to me. It was, um, it was, it was like that, just all of a sudden, like, that landed on your lap and, and here you go, you know. So did you get that kind of crash course in diabetes management, as we all seem to do, of people handing you insulin needles people handing you blood checker and telling you this is what you need to do yeah yeah it was now to be fair like i so i was over in crumlin in the children's hospital there and they were very good it was i was in the hospital for a week so in that week then they're just monitoring you obviously getting your sugars back level like introducing it all to you and you know getting you to like like that do like at that stage i I don't know i don't know when when were you diagnosed i was 19 no, geez, you were quite, you were a good bit older. Mm. So I like, I don't know, like when I was, I was like, I had to draw, I was drawing insulin out of vials with like a proper needle. Like, like mm. it was like real, like when I think back to it now of like now where it's like progressed to and, and the, you know, the supplies that you have now and stuff and, and we have to use, it was like, it feels like it was prehistoric, like, um, but it, like this, I was getting used to this and all of a sudden, like, you know, I, I kind of had the honeymoon phase. I don't know if you would have been like this, but like, because uh, f- I was so young, it was kind of like, it was all new and I was quite good. I was I was quite disciplined because of my sport and because of how I was that I was like, okay, this is something new and, and you know, I'll, I'll do this and I'll do it right and I'll do it well. And and it was like that for a couple of months and then it kind of, all of a sudden I had a day and I was like, fuck, this is forever now. Like, you know, there's like, I'm, this is every day and every moment and it like, you know yourself, like it doesn't, I think every diabetic will say there's not a moment or a decision in your day that doesn't involve you thinking of, well, how am I? What are my levels? What am I, you know, what do I have to do? What have I done before? You know, what's, you know, what's happening next? So I had that crash course and like that, I was, I don't think I didn't go anywhere without like a banana or something in my pocket for about six weeks. Um, it just, that was, that it just seemed to be the way that's what it was. They were right. If you're going anywhere, here you go. Make sure you have maybe a carton of juice and a banana. Bring your stuff with you and off you go. You're you're good. It's so similar to me, even when I was diagnosed, of you get that crash course and then it seems fine. And it is fine today still, of course, but mm. it almost is that realization of it one day of, oh my God, this is not just for the weekend or a few weeks or a few months. I have to do this stuff for the rest of my life. Yeah. So... For the first two months, you said you were kind of happy enough with it. Well, not happy, but you were managing things well. Mm. What was it that led to you kind of having that flick of the switch moment of, I have this for life? Or was there anything that led to you thinking that way? I I don't think there was. A, the only thing I can think that, you know, maybe made me think like that or feel that was, I think maybe being in school and around everyone else you know, and like, like that getting to like lunchtime and you're going to have your lunch and you know, everyone else just tears into their lunch and you're taking out all these things and like checking your bloods and 
you know, taking your injection or doing whatever you need to. And maybe I think it was like that kind of feeling of, okay, like, yeah, I'm like, life is different for me. You know, I'm, I have to, and like, obviously, you know, and I knew, and like the first two months, like, look at what, like, it's not like perfect. There's days obviously where you're like, what, like what's going on? But then there was probably a lull for a couple of weeks where I was like, this is a bit shit, you know, (laughs) like Mm. this isn't, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't how I thought life would be kind of thing. Like, look, no one knows how, like, but this isn't the idea I had for, for what I thought was going to be, you know, you know, my teenage years or my, like, you know, from now on kind of thing. But, um, it didn't last long in that because like that, it was, I had good people around me. I had good, a good team that like the doctors and, and stuff and the nurses in the hospital out there were very good. If you ever had an issue, you know, all you do is pick up the phone and, and it'd be, they'd, they'd help you out and sort you out. And um, mum and dad are very good. My sister was very good. And they're like, you know, at, at kind of getting it going. And my coaches are very good as well. Like they were very accommodating and like, you know, it was at an age where like I was starting to like break into like representative teams and, and that I was playing at like a high enough, a high enough level for like a young, a young kid kind of thing. So, um, you know, that was massively important to me. That was my first thought when I first got diagnosed, I was like, can I still play? Like, you know, is that, am I going to be able to continue to like play hockey, play my sports, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And me and you are very similar in that way of we were big into sport. You were obviously at a, a whole different level. But one of my first thoughts was, how is this going to affect me physically in terms of playing sport? Yeah. And you were obviously 13 when you were diagnosed. And then you made your debut for Ireland at 18, which is a very short space of time. Mm. So how did you get back into your training? Because you were obviously training so much. You were playing at such a high level. Did yeah. you have to take any sort of time off when you were initially diagnosed or even just time for you to settle into this kind of new diabetic life? It, it you know, I, I, there was probably, I would say there was, I'd say around getting diagnosed and it was the Easter weekend I was diagnosed. Um, so ideal, 13 year old in first year, it's probably, I'd say there was a few Easter eggs in the house and all of a sudden it's, you know, get them away from you you're <laughs> there's no more sugar for you any chocolate you yeah <laughs> usual oh god stop so it i'd say i'd say there was probably a month where you know i wasn't training and out and and like like going to trainings or playing matches and that and then i just it was just a case of like you know like they obviously it as it was told, it was like, look, yeah, like you can, it was like, it's going to be difficult because you need to be able to manage yourself and, you know, you need to notice the signs of if you're feeling unwell or if you're a bit low or if you're a bit high, you're not going to feel as well when you're playing and stuff like that. So I kind of had a a while getting used to it, but kind of just dove into it and said like, you know, right, like it's sink or sink. I need to learn this and learn about my body and how it reacts to different things. And like, you know, and, and just kind of was was eased into it but kind of got back into it kind of leading into this that summer you know yeah absolutely and I, and one of the quotes that i have have from you is without diabetes i wouldn't know my body anywhere near as well as i do yeah so yeah. do you feel that now because you were diagnosed with with diabetes so at such a young age as you say yourself it's just sink or swim the yeah. only way to learn about it and to learn about our diabetes specifically to us mm. is just diving into things trial and error trial and error trial and error yeah 100 100 i like 
and like I, I know it's a, it's a very cliche thing I'm supposed to say you know without like you know everything is so positive and this is I'm so glad I have like look I mean like <laughs> I, th- I think you, we, we would all say obviously you know your life would be a lot easier if you know you didn't have it and you weren't dealing with this but the way I liked to deal with it and the way I took it on was like okay look this is something new it's another challenge um you know but there are positives to it in that like you know I, I, my understanding of food and my understanding of like, you know, my nutrition and what I was doing and what I was putting into my body in order to get the best out of it was doubled. You know, I mean, these are things you have to know anyway, but a lot of people walking around day to day don't know these things and don't understand them. Um, and I felt that that really benefited me and, you know, allowed me to become a better athlete and um, a healthier person myself, you know, at, at, on the on the plus side of that. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of hit the nail on the head with that one there of how understanding what we're putting into our body is so important because mm. if you are type 1 diabetic, you, you do need to know what's going into your body. It's very, very important because there's an immediate and there's a direct response or reaction to the food that we're eating so it's important that we know exactly what that is yeah but even just in terms of you getting used to getting back training and understanding your body and the food that you're putting in and how you react to it and getting the most out of your training was there ever a time that you were kind of breaking into these representative teams you were moving up the ladder in terms of i suppose getting closer to the the national squad Mm. Was there ever a time where you were thinking, oh, diabetes might might stop me from doing this here? There, there actually, there, there, there wasn't. There was, no, I actually, I didn't. I felt, I, I kind of, you know, there's plenty of other things that could stop you. But like for me, like that, I just think that it was, it was never going to stop me doing it. Um, I was as long as I knew enough, if I could educate myself enough in what it was and what it could do and the effects of things like, you know, like, you know, yourself, like if you, if you have a bad night's sleep, you know, it can affect, it affects your levels and you're, you know, you're you, all of a sudden, then you, maybe you don't perform well and you're, you know, then you might not get selected, but I never felt like, you know, I was never going to be, as long as I knew what I was doing, knew what I was how I was looking after myself and making sure I was looking after myself, I knew that I could put myself in a position to be selected and to get into these teams and, and to, to do this, you know, and that, that was the only thing I I felt that might've stopped me. But to say that like, you know, being diagnosed and, and having diabetes, you know, like, I suppose it's a, it's a scare that people might have when they get into anything or they, they, if they get diagnosed, they think, geez, this might suck. But like, have you ever heard of someone say, you know, I didn't get picked to do this or I didn't, I didn't get like, I wasn't allowed to do that exactly like, like a sport or whatever, because I'm diabetic. I know you hear the things of like, you know, and I know you had the pilot on before, like where, you know, you can't be a pilot or you can't be, you know, in the army or these things. But if there's something that it's physically, as long as you look after yourself, I think I think anyone can achieve anything and can get to any point, you know, but it's it's like that. It takes that discipline and that that understanding to be able to do it. Yeah, I love that. I love I loved you talking about all that because it makes so much sense of. Essentially, it's kind of like when we make that decision to not let us be stopped by it, that's almost the most important side of it. 
So can you remember, I'm guess, guessing you do, when you were told that, right, you're on the Irish team, you're representing Ireland now? Yeah, like, I mean, <clears throat> that's like from when I was like, so I, I, my dad played hockey before. It's like, so it's in my family. It's all so from... Uh, we're members down in Pembroke in Balls Bridge. I don't you know along the Dart Line, um, the hockey club in on the left when you're going going do, down towards yeah, Sandy yeah. Mount. So it, it, Dad's been there since he was you know out of school. So from from as soon as I was like in a carry cot, I was down in the hockey club and there. So all my life, you know, it's it was what I'd had, and my it was it was my dream was to play for Ireland and to you know go to the Olympics and do these things. And, and I, I just wanted to play for Ireland even. It wasn't even, you know, to initially to go to the Olympics and all these things. So you go through the ranks of like under 16s, under 18s, similar to like football or any any other like team sports like that. Uh, and as you go, you can kind of get a grasp of, you know, do I have a future in this in terms of, is it actually realistic that I could go on and play at the at that level um so probably from around 16 onwards even before that like kind of 14 15 it was just still a real like a goal and a real like i really want the, i really want to do that but probably around 16 onwards i started i was playing then with the the first team in the club and i was playing well in the league then against like the the seniors so i was you know scoring goals and doing well in in that side of it and that was probably the realization then of okay, I can mix it with these lads who are playing in the senior team. So it is something that could happen and I can do it if I apply myself right, you know. Must have been a, a nice feeling putting on that Irish jersey for the first time. It was a nice feeling. Now, look, like hockey, obviously now it's great now that like like we did well to qualify in Rio and the women are doing fantastic now and, and are really putting it out there a little bit more. Um, but I mean... In 2006, when I made my debut, it like it wasn't the most glamorous of things. Now I was in in Stonians in Belfast. In, I played against Scotland on a Sunday morning at half nine in the absolutely lashing rain and cold <laughs> <laughs> in a in an exciting nil all draw. Like you know, there was <laughs> the there glamour. Was, oh, stop! I was like, here, I've made it. You know, <laughs> but um, even now, even when I still think about like you know, I was I was only watching the rugby last weekend and like like we used to sing because we're the same as the rugby we, it's the north and the south together it like forms the irish team and like we'd sing ireland's call would be our anthem and like here like even watching the lads it was the first time even since i stopped playing with the irish team that i was kind of watching it going geez those are special memories of of you know lining out and singing your anthem and, and doing it you know with the with all your mates yeah that's amazing and that's something that's gonna be with you for the rest of your life which is something that you should just be incredibly proud of it's a uh, it's class to hear you talk about it from the differences with the let's call them the bigger games with Ireland compared to games when you were younger playing at a club level mm. did your preparation for those games change and if it did did your diabetes preparation change with that the, the so the difference like when you're younger I suppose your preparation did like the <clears throat> the the major details around it like you know your travel to and all these kind of things they they were different but the minor details around you know game day and training day were probably pretty much instilled in me from you know 
like that around that age of like 16, 15, 16, 17. And they were things that, you know, like my last cap for Ireland, like I would have prepared myself, you know, on the day of the game, the same way that I would when I was playing for our Pembroke side when I was 18, you know, going to play a game on a Saturday in the league in terms of like my food, my pregame, like kind of thing. Like, like there's obviously things you learn as you go on and things like, you know, your like mobility and all those things come into it and, and they change little bits of things. But like in terms of like, you know, the time I like to eat before a game, how much I like to, how much water I like to drink before a game, you know, like do I have a coffee and when do I have that? before like it's all these kind of things that that would have been pretty much like very similar from from the very start you know which is mad but i think again i think it's just you have to become a bit of a creature of habit and if those habits are good like why why change them and why you know why why alter it if it's if it's working yeah 100 percent. and i suppose as we both know diabetes loves routine yeah you know not that you have to do the same thing every day but if there's a sense of routine to your days and to your weeks, it's easier to predict how your blood sugars may be. It's 100%. to kind of yeah. stay on top of potential highs, potential lows, and look ahead into your day. But I'm curious to know how you do prepare for a match that day. Because preparing for a game without diabetes is something that I feel a lot of, a lot of people can take for granted. But... When you do have type one, you need to consider, right, how high do I want my bloods to go? Will they drop during training? Will they spike during a big match? What is it you do on on a day? Let's say your first game of the Olympics. How did you prepare for that? I suppose the only thing that changes how you will prepare in terms of like your food and that or how many meals you'll have on board before you play a game and stuff is obviously the time of the game. But say 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 I'm playing a game at, at three o'clock in the afternoon we'll have eaten twice before definitely um you know so it'd be up up in the morning you'd you i get up like kind of do a bit of mobility have a bit of a stretch you know kind of try and get my body moving a little bit get get myself woken up i'll start drinking water straight away i'd like i like to i like to have about three liters of water on board before i play a game even just in terms of just to be at a baseline of where i know i'm, I'm gonna feel my best so I'll be sipping on water as the morning goes. I'll make my breakfast. I'll probably, I don't want to be overly stuffed, but I don't like eating too close to a game either. So I'll generally eat probably four hours before a game. And then if I need something in kind of the lead up to a game, like half an hour before, or like just before you start a warm up, I'll like take a small snack on board just to kind of give myself that extra little boost. But I'd have my breakfast and I'd have something light enough for breakfast because I wouldn't want that to be my my kind of bigger bigger meal uh before so you know i, I generally make some eggs or something like that and, and like something that's not going to alter my blood sugar too much um you know or that i need to take too much insulin on and then again i'll, I'll carry on my routine and as the day goes i'll just chill out for a while like you know but i'm like go out for a walk go for a coffee or do something like that then four hours before the game i'll generally make my pre-game meal and for the most parts like as the years went on like like you know that's kind of changed in terms of like 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 we said before of like learning what works best for you on game day and what works best in your stomach like are you going to digest well and that but i usually have something like like a bowl of porridge or something before like four hours before and you know and i'll add bits to that like if it's like nut butter or whatever like bits to just kind of beef it up a little bit 
then from from that time leading up to the game I'll, I'll i'll make sure i have all my kit ready like you know i get get everything set out um get myself ready for the game and then you know you'll usually meet for a game you know if it's with the national team you would have been in camp so you'd be in a hotel or you'd be you'd be wherever so you'd just be chilling out in your hotel room or that or you know um, there wouldn't be much change, but if it's with the club, you you then get ready. I'll be getting ready to drive down, so I get all my stuff ready, get it out, and then I'll be driving down probably two hours before the game. You'd be there probably an hour and hour and a half, an hour and three quarters before, and then you're just into your your pregame routine of you know like your meetings and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in within that, like I would on a game day, like this is uh, now uh, it's people I don't know. Actually, I haven't like I've never really spoken to other diabetics about you know what they would do on a day of sport, kind of like that. Which is I know it, it's probably a bit strange, but for me, I could test my blood sugars twenty times on a game day. You know, mm-hmm. just because I'd rather know and see something or spot a trend before it's too late to correct it on it because when you start stressing the body and you start running and you impact sport, like I always find my adrenaline brings my blood sugars up a little bit. Anyway, I'd like to be starting a warm up or, or going into any kind of exercise with my bloods around kind of eight, seven and 7.5 to eight, you know, where there's a little bit of leeway that I don't want to be higher than that. Cause I won't feel well. And I don't want to be too much lower than that because, you know, there's the potential that I can slip into a hypo. So like that, I usually try and get to that kind of point. And then like, you know, I kind of, I know my body well enough to know that if like, if I feel a low coming on, I can feel it. Like, I don't, you know, know, I've got good, um, I've got good awareness of it in that. Or if I, if I feel, if I'm maybe like going up a little bit the opposite way, I can feel that too. And and at half time, then I'll check my bloods again. Um, you know, or if I come off at a certain time, you've got rolling subs in hockey. So you can, you're, you're on and off every five or six minutes, you know, especially international level. Like you, it's hard to do more than a three minute shift. Like I was a forward as well, or I am a forward. So you're, it's just constant sprint repetition. Like, um, and like that, there could be moments in the game I'll come off and I'll be like, I'll just check myself and see where I'm at here. And I do that. And that'll be it. I'll be off. I'd go again, but that that'll be generally my my kind of run into a, a game day. You know, that'll be pretty much without fail. Most games I would play, I would have, I would have that kind of a, a lead in. Has there ever been a time? And listening to that makes perfect sense to me because I I understand the whole thought process around it, and I always find it funny to think of somebody who doesn't have diabetes to be listening to that and that sort of preparation. It's almost yeah. just like listening to a different language. But has there ever been a time where you know that ideally I want to be going into this match at, say, my blood sugar being eight? Mm. Has there ever been a time where your blood sugar has been lower or higher than that? Like, let's say, for example, you're playing a big game, mm. big game in the Olympics. You're nervous. The adrenaline's pumping leading to your blood sugar spiking a lot has there ever been a time where you couldn't start the game because of your blood sugar no i have now i say no but like you know because i would generally you know spot it but there there was in the lead up you know to the olympics we were obviously the way we were training i was in incredible shape i was my insulin sensitivity was really high. I was taking next to nothing, you know, even when I was eating good meals, there was just, my body was just burning it and, 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 and getting it, getting through it without having to really do, 
do anything. But we were playing a warm up tournament in Valencia before we before we went off to uh, Rio and. I found that week difficult. I remember a couple of times, you know, like, I don't know if anyone's listening out there from Dextro Energy, you know, here, sponsor me because that week I was <laughs> absolutely, I, there was a couple of games where, you know, 15 minutes before in the warm up, I was like, oh, I don't know, I'm, I feel a bit low here. And I go over and like generally before a game like that, like 15 or 15 minutes or so before the game, I would always kind of jog over after doing whatever drill and, and just check myself because it was 15 minutes out that I had enough time that if I needed to kind of sit for a couple of minutes or, or take something on board, you know, I always found that that was good time for me to, to bring myself back into wherever I needed to go. And there was a couple of times that week where I was like, oh, I really feel shaky here. Like, you know, and I like that was over. You know, and luckily enough, like, you know, treated it and it was okay and I could go on. But um, that was probably the only time where I really felt like, you know, I've touch wood, you know, never had to like step off a pitch because of it, like during a game or anything like that. It it hasn't been an issue. Now, there's been games where I've finished at the end of it, like say at halftime, I check, I could check my blood sugar and it could be like six or, or 6.2 or whatever. And then at the end of the game, all of a sudden I'm like 13 and I'm like, Jesus, what happened there? Like, but it's like the adrenaline of the match going and building up to those last 10, 15 minutes of a game where, you know, it's, it's getting intense. It's, it's moving quicker. You're whatever's happened. And, and that, that's the way my body generally, you know, will go after a game and kind of creeps up a bit, but then it'll come straight back down probably an hour, an hour and a half after. Yeah. And I, I used to be the same like that when I was playing football where, I would like to go into a match slightly higher than if I was just kind of sitting around, much like you, because I want to reduce the risks of crashing into a hypo, but then I don't want to be too high where Mm. I feel as if I can't can't even play. And I I would have a similar finish to you like that, where afterwards I would check my blood and they could be, you know, 12, 13, 14. Mm. But around that, would you always be patient with your bloods? And what I always say to people is and particularly around exercise because our bloods can kind of be more sensitive around that time and in relation to the direction that they might be going yeah sometimes it's always just best to kind of like hold off be patient for an hour see what direction they're going yeah would you always have been like that I, I i wouldn't have always been like that again it was kind of a trial and error kind of thing you know it but kind of to to the point where I'm at now and to point where I was probably at for the guts of my twenties, because at that stage, you know, I, I'd, I'd had it for so long and I'd had so many different experiences and, and I'd learned these things that I would like, you know, like you see it ever after a game, the lads are like, you know, you know, getting, getting a protein shake or getting something on board to kind of, to start the recovery process. But I would just, for an hour after the game, I would just, I would check my bloods. I wouldn't eat anything. You know, I wouldn't, bring anything on that maybe I'd have to maybe take a little bit of insulin or anything like that. I'd let myself settle out, let my body kind of calm down. And then an hour after check where I'm at and then begin to, you know, like get my food on board and like all of this kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I found because I'd had that before, you know, where I come in and I'd be like, Oh Jesus, I'm 13 here, 14. I'll take a couple of units of insulin here. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting at three and I'm like, Oh Jesus. Like, you know, and then you're playing the yo-yo game and it's going up and down and you're going, and then you're never catching it, you know, or it's very difficult. I've, I've found. It can be tricky at times because 
Of course, inevitably, we're going to get highs and lows. That's just part of it. Mm. But in a way, it can sometimes feel like our blood sugar is kind of fragile in that way. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, if you have one high or one low, inevitably, you're going to have them. But one high or one low can be the catalyst to you step it onto that blood sugar roller coaster of yeah. up and down and up and down and you're kind of constantly on the back foot. Yeah. From somebody who is as active as you are and has, has done so much in sport, with just your day-to-day, Alan, what do you think is like the most beneficial factor to your diabetes management? What do you think is is the number one standout piece of, piece of management that you use to help keep you stable? Two things I would do every day, and, and like it's as basic as anything, but like I make sure I drink enough water and I make sure I move in some way th- throughout the day. Like, um, obviously now, like life is a bit different. I'm not full time athlete anymore. I'm I'm working, you know, uh, an office job, so it's you don't you just you don't move as much. So I make sure there is there is times in the day and I always make time for myself for to get out and move. And even if it's only, even if I only walk for 45 minutes, it's, I, I get out and I move. Cause if I don't move, it's, you just, I just don't feel right. And if I don't drink enough water again, that's probably the biggest thing for me. I find is that, you know, if I'm, if I'm drinking enough water, I'm going to feel well and I'm, my levels are going to be a lot better. Um, you know, that those, those two things for me would be, would be massive water is so so important and i think it's not valued as much as it should be in relation to diabetes because essentially it can be so simple to to do it can be so easy to drink water throughout the day and sometimes because it's so simple yeah you don't value it as much but if there's anybody listening here who doesn't drink much water (laughs) and you're type 1 diabetic please 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 drink more water at least two or three liters a day. It's very, very important. And you're hearing that from an Olympian. So he, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> no, it is. It's, it's, it is. It's massive. And it's not only for diabetic, like, you know, it's, and like you said, it is, it's so easily just like, like you said, it's the easiest thing to do, but it's also the easiest thing for people not to do. And like, it, there's like, if, if obviously you look at like the euros there and like Ronaldo getting rid of the coke out of the way and putting the water down. <laughs> and like, it's like that. I was like, yes, you're right. Good man. Like, you know, it, it's, it is, it's so crucial to everything and everything you do. Like it's, you know, it's like a car, like, you know, you're not going to not put fuel into it to get it. Like water for me will just, it does, it, it allows, allows me to just feel right. Like, you know, my body feels just better for it and yeah look and i'm i back you there i'm 100 drink your <laughs> yeah. water drink your water <laughs> absolutely get it into you first thing in the morning when you wake up pint of water yeah big time big time alan tell me more about the your experience in the olympics i'm i'm curious to know that because i've obviously never spoken to an olympian i've never been to an olympics myself so how was the overall experience for you it was the the big thing, see, the, the, it was like, look, as a whole, I'll just say from the, like, you know, people say, you know, you have these different things in your life and, and people say, was it everything you expected, you know? And I had dreamed of going to the Olympics from probably when I was about 13, 14 onwards. I, it was just, that was the pinnacle of my sport. So that is exactly where I wanted to get to. I wanted to be at the very top of my game and of my sport and competing with these people, you know, 
and and in in this kind of sphere of of sport you know um and it was it was absolutely everything i thought it would be it was it, the experience is something that i'll geez, i'll never forget the year itself in the lead up to it like so like from when we qualified it was it was seriously intense like we were the guts of full time training out in Abbottstown in the National Sporting Centre like in the gym there and then in pitch like in um, like kind of like local club pitches because we didn't have a pitch out there at that time but you know there's also hockey tournaments are it's usually 18 in a squad so on a game day you'll have 18 players so there'll be 16 outfield players and two goalkeepers but for the Olympics you can only have 16 players so you're generally most teams what they'll do is they'll pick one goalkeeper and 15 outfield players and um, so all of all already you know from the moment we qualified everyone already knows in their head there's two lads here you know that are in our 18 that are constantly going to tournaments and playing games that aren't going to get to experiences and get to go so there's already that you know that feeling of all right okay this is it had, there was an extra edge to it um, in, in terms of getting selection. So from the moment I was selected, you know, to the moment we got to the village, you know, it's it was just, you know, I felt like I was on cloud nine of like, you know, okay, touch wood, I don't get injured here. And it all goes through. I Like I'm, if I step foot on the pitch in game one, I'm an Olympian. I've gotten to that level and I've achieved my, you know, my my life goal of at that point you know of, of what was my life goal at that point um but it was incredible like you know everything you hear about it and you hear about the village and you hear about you know it's it's brilliant like it really is it's like a playground for athletes and kids like they're like kids walking around every every tournament we had gone to before we'd never been to a multi-sport tournament it, it was always you go to us you go to a tournament and it's a hockey tournament so you know all the other teams and you know all the other lads i had played in belgium and holland and and you know so i was friends with other teams and, and lads on the other teams so you, it's that's nothing new but then all of a sudden you're walking around and like look over there's serena williams uh, getting food like you know or you know there's simone Biles like walking over it was very hard not to be a little bit kind of a little bit starstruck at times in terms of the atc because we're you know different levels of athletes obviously in the olympics so you have these people who it's they're making mega money and it's their you know they're just on a different level and then you have like guys like us and like other amateur sports and 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 for them it's like you know this is like that this is the the peak of it all and that was mad and that was that was brilliant to you you know it was great seeing that and i've got some great photos like that with like walking around and like with different athletes or, or meeting different athletes and just chatting to them because you just realize like they're they're just normal guys and girls and like you know they're the same thing they, they love their sport they're obviously they've put in the time the effort and and the, the training to get to the level they're at in it and just because they're on the television or they're they're like you know you see them in the newspapers or in magazines and all these things they're, they're no different to to any of us you know any athletes or anyone that's out there it you know it's uh so it's quite nice to, to have that and, and rub shoulders with them and and that was that was another side to it that you know was just it, that was like, that was really memorable as well you know being being in in and around the village was probably the peak of it in terms of just seeing seeing it all and the the level the volume of people in there walking around and at the peak of their sporting lives as well you know i'm listening to that thinking how can i get to the olympics <laughs> it sounds amazing that's so cool for somebody who speaks so highly of it and you said yourself it was kind of like your your childhood dream to get there 
it must have been some feeling to do it. Had you, or how did you feel coming home after it and knowing that, whoa, I've, I've fulfilled that dream that I've always had. Yeah. It's like, <clears throat> it was, I'll never forget. So we played our first game and like, you know, my folks were over and um, like uh, my girlfriend of the time, like uh, my fiance now, but she was over and um, watching my sister was over with her husband. So, you know, we had great support out there. And like, I remember day one, we played India and like, it was a like back and forth game. We'd lost four, three in the end. It was like, you know, it was tight. So it wasn't the best start. And I remember, you know, we were good at that and we were off and we were just doing our cool down on like the, the little warm up pitch behind the stadium. And we were all kind of like, and remember like jogging over and just chatting to mum and dad and, and like that, my, my, my girlfriend and my sister and that. And I was like, Oh, devastated. Like, you know, that's not the start we needed kind of thing. And they were like, well done. I was like, what? They're like, you, you've like, you're, you're an Olympian. Well done. That's, you know, remember this moment. Like, you know, it's, I know it's disappointing, but, uh, and it kind of, you know, I was obviously <laughs> being an athlete. I was like, ah, shut up. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> like I'm annoyed here, but like it did, it's that kind of, I remember that moment and, and I, like, yeah, I like, it's almost like, you know, you remember the sight, the smells and this, like the heat, I can feel like, yeah, it was, a, it was a special feeling. Um, but coming home, I suppose, you know, people, they talk about it. And, and like, we we went through, like, chats before the Olympics with, like, um, you know, Chef de Mission and, like, the there's, like, the sports psychologists and that um, with Team Ireland. And, you know, there's a very real uh, talk about the Olympic Blues of where you come home. This has been all your life for four years um, in a whole cycle to, to qualify and, and to get there. And you do it and you get there. And it's, you know, you're at the pinnacle, you're at the peak, you're living your dream. And then all of a sudden you come home and it's like, life is boom. Like you're like, what's next? Right. What am I doing? You're normal again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, there was a couple of weeks after where you come home and you were at different, you know, media things or, you know, you were, there was like parties or whatever you do. But then after that, it was like that back to back to the grind and like, you know, back to reality. And, and I found that tough and that was tough because it was, you know, you're, you're four years away from the next one and you're making, you're, you're thinking, am I going to do it? Or, you know, what's, what's next. And for anyone, for any athlete, not knowing what's next is difficult, but for add, add diabetes on top of that. And, and, you know, like my mind is working overtime then of like jesus what am i going to do i'm not doing enough you know i've gone from the busiest year of my life now to thinking jesus like where where will i go next or what like what's my next move and that was difficult and um, you know it was that was a funny kind of time but you know it was it was just kind of getting back into the club and and enjoying that with my friends and and seeing my friends for you know again i had like like my best buds and 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 like so like i hadn't seen them in basically six or seven months too much like you know bar catching up with them maybe the odd time for a coffee and that like you didn't really spend any decent social time with anyone and so that was great to 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 get back into that side of things and catch up with people and and have a laugh again but um yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a tricky time. Anyway, it was a tricky time off, off the back of something that was so incredible. Yeah. I can only imagine how, how difficult or as you say, interesting that time was to go from, as you say, the, the kind of four year build up to now it's done. 
Mm. Was that feeling of like, oh my God, it's done. What do I do now? Did that give you more of a drive into, okay, what's next? I'm ready for the next challenge. I'm ready to start training again. I'm ready to potentially go to the Olympics again. It it did. Okay, like, yeah, it was, it's like, it's like anything, you know, it's like that, that feeling of like when you have, when you've experienced something so good and that you enjoyed so much, like straight away, all, all I could think, my mind straight, there was never a doubt like, yeah, I, I want to go to Tokyo. I want to do the next one. Definitely. Like, you know, I mean, if like Tokyo had happened last year, I would have been 32 turning 33. And I just felt, you know, yeah, I'm, I know myself well enough. I know my body. I can definitely get to that and, and be in a good position to go, you know, if I, if I do, but there was a few months after where I just, you know, training and, and killing myself training really didn't uh, appeal to me. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel like, you know, it was at the forefront of my mind. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to chill out a bit more. I wanted to spend more time with my family and my friends, probably up until the, the Christmas time after Rio, uh, or just after Christmas, I was just kind of, you know, I need to live my life a little bit more as a non-athlete at the time, just like, you know, relax a bit and not be dialed in every moment of, am I training for this? Have I gone to the gym and done this? Have I done this? Now I was still training and playing because I was playing the club and playing at that high level and training with the national team, but not at the same intensity as what it was in the couple of years before. But very quickly in, in hockey, what it rolls around is you have a world, same as like the football, you have the Euros and then the World Cup. You have, so the Olympics was 2016 and we had a World Cup in 2018. So between 2016 and 2018, we probably played more hockey than we did in the lead up to Rio in, in trying to qualify <laughs> then for the World Cup. So, I mean, as much as I say, I like to, I wanted to chill out and enjoy myself a bit more, <laughs> you know, there wasn't too much time you could, you could sit back and, and rest. Um, so we went into then that next summer, we actually played more hockey. We played, I think we played three tournaments the summer following um, in, in, in qualifying for uh, the World Cup. So it was kind of straight back into that. And all of a sudden, then you're back into another cycle. And, and that's that's the, the way it goes, you know, and, and, and that it was a new challenge. And it was a good challenge at the time, because again, while we were the first hockey team or the first team to qualify for the Olympics since like 1926 or so, some mad amount of time, you know, we, no hockey team, the men's hockey team hadn't qualified for the World Cup either since 1976 or something wow. like that. That's so, amazing. so, so there we had that goal as well to, to try and push towards. So that, that very quickly, you know, focused the mind and, and got us on the, got us on the right path. Is there anything that you would, and I'm always, I'm always curious to notice from all types of diabetics, but is there anything that you would have said to yourself back when you were 13, just diagnosed, given all the success and, and the, the experience that you've had, is there anything that you would have changed? Is there any sort of advice that you would have offered yourself back then mm. that you know now? I would... I probably look, I, I, I would say, I would say, I would have said to myself, educate yourself as much as you can and read as much as you can and learn as much as you can about it and about all types of it and all experiences of it as quickly as you can, you know, probably 
because like when you're like when I like you're 13, 13 to 17, there's so much going on in your life. Like, you know, you're going through puberty, you've, you're, you're in secondary school, you're, you're doing all these different things that, you know, the last thing you want to do is go and read a book after spending all day looking at books and like <laughs> doing, you know, or, or go and read a paper online about something like, you know, just, that just wasn't in my thought. And the more I started to do that, as I got a bit older, the better it became and the easier and the more clear it became in my mind of, you know, what needed to be done and the best way of handling it all. And that's, that's something I'd say to anyone, any, any or talk to people, you know, talk to diabetics, talk to other people and learn their experiences and, and learn about what they do or how they feel, because not only will you learn, but it will also normalize it a bit more in your head of, you know, I'm not the only fella out here. Or I'm not the only girl out here trying to go through this. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's that's the massive benefit that social media holds today too of giving us the ability and that opportunity to opportunity to just jump online and connect with all these other people around the world going through something yeah. so similar. Yeah. There should be a meme for it or something like but like you know, like if you're out about and you spot another diabetic or you see something, it's almost like, ah, the, the hell are you? Like, come here. Best friends, best yeah. friends. <laughs> but, uh, it's actually that's... happened to me a few times where I've seen someone check their blood sugar or, you know, take take an insulin injection or whatever it is, and it's just boom. Yeah. instantly best friends yeah. <laughs> it's great yeah. it's like you've known them all your life like and, and it is though you have that because you just have so you have something that it's so hard to understand if you don't go through it you, you know mm. yeah <laughs> exactly i've one more question for you alan yep then i'll let you go if you had the opportunity to thank diabetes for something what would that be oh don't put me on the spot here or anything um <laughs> thank you for it um I know it's a strange question. I suppose I go back to what I said before or what I've kind of said to you before. I would thank it for allowing me to understand my body better than I probably can imagine I would have before. I mean, you know, you can learn about your training and your nutrition and all of that, but it's very hard because you actually don't see the direct results of, you know, okay, I need to eat this and I will feel better. Or, you know, say you're going to the gym, you want to put on muscle and, you know, right. Okay. I, I, I eat this way. I'm training this way. And you see a result, but like, you know, for me, you can feel it straight away. So, you know, you, you, you know what, you know what things are doing for you. And, and I suppose without, without it, I don't think I'd have that same level of understanding as I do. So I'd have to say that'd be my, my thank you for, for, um, for what it's done for, for me and for, yeah, for, for my life. Love it. And look from me personally and from anyone else listening, we would like to thank you as well, because to hear that another diabetic, particularly from Ireland is representing their country, playing sport at the highest level, going to the Olympics, being an Olympian, doing all the things that you do thank you from us it's it's amazing to see so thank you for your time today it was fantastic talking to you and best of luck with the wedding thank you very much yeah yeah well uh that's i'll probably wake up in the morning of the wedding with a low or something now it'll be a a whole new uh whole new game (laughs) gone to the olympics and he can't get married (laughs) (laughs) alan is there anywhere people can get in touch with you or find out more about your story 
they can i am on instagram or you know you can always if people do want to have a chat or ever catch up with me i mean oh and you've got my email address you've got i don't know if you have my phone passed on to anyone uh, i am always open to chat and meet people and and kind of learn a bit more about myself and them even and their story with diabetes it's uh it's something that i think you know i have to say as well i've been following your platform for quite a long time and i think it's fantastic what you're doing it's a breath of fresh air to see it and to see all the stories of people around the world and around Ireland that have the condition and live with it and live with it successfully and, and you know, are, are doing everything they can to make it better and make their lives better with it. Um, it's, it's great. So I think well done to you uh, and, and keep it up. You're a legend. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. And again, thanks for your time. And I'll chat to you soon. All right. No worries at all. Thanks very much. Take it easy. Bye Cheers. Bye. And there you have it. A diabetic Olympian. Alan is a perfect example of why diabetes shouldn't stop you from doing something you want to do. And I know there's a lot of listeners here who have just been diagnosed, know somebody who has just been diagnosed, or has been living with this thing for 10, 15 years and are still in the mindset of, this is going to hold me back. Yes, it's difficult. Of course, it's difficult. But listening to somebody like Alan is a perfect example of why it shouldn't stop you from doing anything that you want to do. He was diagnosed just as he was becoming a teenager and still in less than five years made his debut for Ireland. Bronze medal in the European Championships. Competed in the Rio Olympics. He admittedly said that he knows more about his body now as a result of being diagnosed than if he had never been diagnosed. So as difficult as diabetes is, scratch under the surface. See what positive, see what positives can come from it because there's always going to be something. There's always going to be a positive to any negative. As difficult as that can be at times. But personally, I really enjoyed listening to Alan. Massively inspirational to me and I know that anyone listening here is going to get a lot from that too. So massive thank you to Alan again. We actually, I actually only discovered that he lives about five minutes away from me, which is a strange coincidence. But uh, yeah, our towns are beside each other in Ireland. So me and Alan are going to meet for a pint and we'll talk about all things diabetes and all things not diabetes. <laughs> but as always, appreciate your time. Hope you got a lot from the episode. If you have a story, if you have a question, if you have an experience to share or anything that you'd even like to get off your chest or something that you feel another diabetic could benefit from or anything you would like me and Graham to read or go through, please don't hesitate to reach out. The email is theinsalonepodcast at gmail.com. We'll have a link in the description. Don't hesitate. The more that we get, the better. And as always, Share the podcast where you can. We love seeing it in stories. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody you know. Because the more people that listen, the more people that can benefit from it. And that is the goal of the podcast. So until then, until next week, have a good day. Have a good week. Look after the blood sugars. And I'll chat to you soon. <laughs>